Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read it from the New King James, which is which we use here. And then I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation so you can get a feel of it in contemporary English. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now let's look at it from the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screen as well. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Immediately following the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the apostles and those gathered in the upper room were mightily used of God. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John on their way to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer, prayed for a man who had been crippled all of his life. Every day somebody carried him there to the temple so he could beg for money. He could ask for alms. Because when he looked at him, the Bible says he looked at him, he fastened his eyes upon them expecting to receive something. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. I knew they were Pentecostal preachers, amen. (laughs) But he was asking for help. He was looking for his daily generosity of people so that he could meet his daily needs. They didn't have social security in that time. They didn't have disability in that time. They didn't have some type of government safety net that would catch those who were less fortunate. So he had to appeal to the generosity of those who were going to the temple. And this day, Peter and John comes. And he fastens his eyes upon them. He looks at them. And maybe it was one of those looks, you know, that he had learned how to look a certain way in order to get people to open up their wallets. But when Peter and John came, it was not Peter and John before the upper room. It was Peter and John after the upper room. And the Bible said that Peter said, silver and gold we do not have, but such as we have give unto thee. Took him by the hand, said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And the Bible said strength began to fill his ankle bones. And immediately he rose up. He began to walk. Not only did he walk, but he was leaping and praising God in the temple. This was after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This was the same Peter who just a few weeks earlier had warmed by a strange fire, had denied the Lord Jesus Christ, and even cursed And now God is using him just weeks later to bring healing to a man who was lame. These same individuals had been in hiding, fearful of their own lives. In John 21, after the resurrection, Jesus finds Peter, John, and some of the other disciples fishing. And it was on the beautiful shores there of the Sea of Galilee. And Beth and I have been to that place that Peter experienced resurrection and restoration. Just a few weeks earlier, these individuals were bewildered. They were confused and they were afraid. What happened? They experienced a dramatic change. 
What caused the fearful to become fearless? What did they experience that brought clarity in the place of bewilderment and confusion? They experienced what Jesus said would happen in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In Acts chapter 2 verse 4, Luke, the beloved physician, records what took place in the upper room. It says, And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Look what happens in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those from those who entered the temple, who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple and ask for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with Peter, with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And the Bible goes on to say there in verse 8 that when the Spirit of God touched him, he was walking, leaping, and praising God. These two individuals bring this crippled man into an encounter with the healing power of God. This powerful release of power creates an opportunity for Peter and John to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ right there at the very place where Jesus had said earlier when he drove the money changers out of the temple, when he drove the profiteers out of the temple and said, my house shall be called a house of prayer and I want to tell you what happened it became a house of healing when God's house becomes a house of prayer it will become a house of healing what was the difference what caused these men who were fearful to boldly declare that they would preach and witness in the name of Christ even under the threat of arrest I'll tell you what it was it was the power of the Holy Spirit it wasn't anything that was in them within themselves because they were unlearned men the Bible said they were just rough fishermen and I've been to the place where Peter's house is there's a church built over the top of it now and you can look down in glass through the altar and see the ruins of his house it's right there at the sea of Galilee he had waterfront property he understood that sea he was a fisherman he lived out there on that water and he fished for his living matter of fact when you go to Israel they want to say you St. Peter's fish everywhere you go to eat they have St. Peter's fish all around the, the sea of Galilee but it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was operating in them in 2 Timothy 1 7 for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power everybody say power and love and a sound mind. In Acts chapter 4 verses 29 through 31. Listen this is what happened when they were persecuted and locked up. But here's what they prayed when they got out of prison. In verse 29. Now Lord look at on their threats. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God. With boldness. These scriptures right here are going to become very real in the days that lie ahead as we face persecution. And the church is going to face persecution in the days ahead. We're not going to escape it. Matter of fact, all around the world, many are worshiping at the very peril of their lives today. But what are they praying? They're praying, Lord, grant that your servants may speak your word with boldness. Boldness. The Holy Spirit comes to make you bold in your witness of Christ. Now, I believe there's an initial infilling of the Holy Spirit. We refer to this as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible teach about this baptism of the Holy Spirit? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist gave this prophecy. 
He said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In Luke 24, 49, he listened to this promise from Jesus. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit means to be immersed into the Holy Spirit. To be filled or infilled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might live an overcoming life. The Holy Spirit does not come to us so that we can wear a badge that says I'm more spiritual than anybody else. The Holy Spirit does not come to us to make us proud of our pedigree. The Holy Spirit comes to us to empower us to live an overcoming life. He empowers us to do the works of God and to fulfill the destiny that we have over our life. Can somebody say amen? You say, well, I just need the Holy Spirit to preach. No, you need the Holy Spirit to get out of the bed in the morning. You need the Holy Spirit every day of your life. You need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. The Full Life Bible Commentary says the baptism of the Holy Spirit will bring personal boldness and power the Holy Spirit into the believer's life in order to accomplish mighty works in Christ's name and to make the believer's witness and proclamation effective. Every believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not something that's optional. This is not something that's just for a select few. This is not just a gift that God bestows upon one out of every twelve. Every believer should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor, you got scripture for that? I sure do. Thanks for asking. Ephesians 5.18. Listen to what it says. Do not be drunk with wine. How many of you believe you shouldn't be drunk with wine? In which is dissipation or excess. But be filled with the Spirit. He didn't say perhaps you'll be filled with the Spirit, maybe be filled with the Spirit, hopefully you'll be filled. He said be filled with the Spirit. This gift's available to every believer. Turn to your neighbor and say it's available to you. You need to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do I know that this experience is for me? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, here's Peter preaching. I wouldn't have chosen Peter to preach the inaugural sermon of the church. I'd made him sit down, go through a probationary period, find out why he did what he did. Let him work that out. But how many of you know that the Holy Spirit can touch us in one moment and change us? That which was fearful can come become fearless. And Peter rising up with the eleven. Listen to what he says. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. And your old men shall dream dreams. He goes on to say in that particular passage there, in those next verses, he said, It's to you and your children and your children's children and to all, everybody say all, who are far off. In verse 39, the initial or first evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit will be a phenomenon that we call speaking with tongues. And let me talk to you about that for a moment. We're part of the greatest movement on this planet. Almost 700 million people today are what we call spirit-filled, Pentecostal, charismatic believers. In other words, they believe that this gift is for today. It is the greatest revival in history. It started at the turn of last century at Azusa Street, a one-eyed black man by the name of James Seymour. And God used them in a, in a converted livery stable. See, we think we've got to have a palace for God to move. Listen, God can move in a tent. God can move in a livery stable. He can move wherever he wants to. Hallelujah. And God began to move, and people began to come from all over the world. Now, listen, it's, it's not hard to travel today. You can get on a plane, and you can be across the world in eight hours, 13 hours. If you go to Australia, it takes a little longer. 
But used to, they had to come by ship and they had to come by train and it could take days to get there. They traveled from all over the world to experience what God was pouring out on Azusa Street. And that revival has not stopped, but it continues today. It's the greatest move of God's spirit, perhaps, in history. You're a part of something that's so much bigger than we are. See, we tend to get isolated in our own church and kind of in the four walls of our church. And we see what's happening here. And if we're not careful, we just start looking inward. And if you look inward long enough, you'll get depressed because you'll see the faults and you'll see what's wrong. And you'll see the little things and you'll get depressed. But if you begin to look outside the four walls of this church and you see what God is doing, I'm telling you, God is moving throughout this world by his spirit. And we haven't seen anything as to what is coming because there's an awakening that's coming on this earth greater I believe that's going to eclipse everything in the past the Bible talks about the former rain and the latter rain I believe he's going to put the former rain and the latter rain together and he's going to pour out his spirit and I don't know about you I'm not going to read about it I'm not going to watch it on television I plan to participate in it and be right in the middle of it listen to me the devil's not going to have the final say on planet earth the devil's not going to have the final say in the church God's going to have the final say and some of you prayed and fasted and believed God for your children and your lost loved ones and unsaved grandchildren. You've been crying out to God. I want to tell you something. Those prayers aren't falling down. Those prayers are for the very throne of God. They're more alive than you are today. And God's going to answer those prayers. I believe he's coming back. But I believe before he comes for his church, he's coming to his church. And when God comes to his church, he comes in power. He comes in demonstration. He puts out, listen, and he's going to fill people with the Holy Spirit and touch people like they've never known before. Come on, somebody. Tell your neighbor, say, you had not seen anything yet. One of the most important and controversial doctrines in the Word of God is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. I want to read it again from the New Living Translation, what it says, And everyone present, there were 120, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Listen to what Donald Stamps writes. He said, Speaking in tongues may be an existing language, or a language unknown on earth, such speech has not been learned and is often unintelligible both to the speaker and to the hearers. It involves the spirit of man and the spirit of God intermingling so that the believer communicates directly to God, giving expression or utterance at the level of one's spirit rather than the mind. Now listen to me. To receive the Holy Spirit, you don't have to go into a trance. You can speak in tongues just like I'm speaking in English. Now I pray in the spirit. I pray in the spirit a lot. A lot of mornings I go to, I wake up, I pray in the spirit before I get out of the bed. A lot of nights, like last night, I went, before I went to bed, I, I was just laying there getting ready to go to sleep, and I was just praying in the spirit, just talking to the Lord. And I'm going to talk about the, why that's important. But you pray in the spirit, the Bible says that your spirit's praying. You don't know what you're saying, but what's happening is your spirit's got direct access to God. And listen, that's powerful. That releases a power in our lives. Hallelujah. So there are five different times or instances in the book of Acts where when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak with tongues. Let me give you these five. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, there were 120 in the upper room who spoke with tongues. In Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 29, we have what we call the Samaritan Pentecost. And Simon, Simon was a sorcerer, a fortune teller. He witnessed people receiving the Holy Spirit, and we believe speaking with tongues. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 19, the apostle Paul 
receives the Holy Spirit and speaks with tongues. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 8, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. In Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46, we have the Caesarean Pentecost. That's when Peter has a vision and he sees unclean animals and he says, Lord, I'm a good Jewish guy. I'm not about to eat anything unclean. And the Lord says, what I call clean, you don't call unclean. And in that vision, there were some men that came to him and knocked on his door and said, you need to go with us. And the angel of the Lord told Peter to go. And he went to the Italians. Now listen to me. Peter was a good Orthodox Jewish guy. He didn't mix around with the Gentiles. And the Italians were the occupying force in Israel. They were the enemy. And God sent a Jewish man who didn't want to go to a place he didn't want to go. And Peter went in. And while Peter was preaching... The Bible said the Holy Spirit came and fell on Cornelius and his household and they began to speak in tongues. And they marveled that God had given the Holy Spirit not just to the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles as well. You see, this thing is not exclusive for one group of people. Listen, God will fill Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Salvation Armies, Charismatic, hydromatic, crazymatic, spirit-filled, Pentecostals. Come on, somebody. And in the Pentecostal church, we've gotten away from it. Very small percentages of our people are filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to get back to being a spirit-filled people. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. It's what identifies us. And listen, if we think we're going to win this world with intelligence, and we're going to win this world with ingenuity, and we're going to win this world with talent, we've got another thing coming. The only thing that's going to win this world is the Lord Jesus Christ moving in power among his people hallelujah you go on the mission field with me and you better be filled with the Holy Spirit and the fifth time is in Acts 19 20 years after the day of Pentecost the apostle Paul finds a group in Ephesus and they they had been converted I believe by Apollos and here's what Paul asked them in Acts 19 have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed and they said, we've not so much as even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. See, they didn't have a Bible like we have a Bible today. They didn't have Christian radio and television like we have today. They didn't have the advantage of hearing a lot of preaching. They lived in a pagan society. They worshiped the goddess Diana. And, that. and Paul went there and said, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? And they said, we've not so much as heard that. We've been actually baptized into John's baptism. And the Bible said that while he began to preach to them and teach them about it, the next thing you know, they're prophesying and they're speaking in tongues. Now listen, that kicked off one of the greatest revivals that Asia's ever seen. And all of Asia heard the word of the Lord as a result of this 12 or 15 people that gathered in this little place getting filled with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, it's so cut into the idol making that because people were getting saved and bringing their, their implements of demonic worship and burning them and doing away with them, and it's so cut into the idol making that that they went they got hauled up into the court created a, a turmoil and got hauled up into court because they had cut into the revenue of those who were making the idols for the pilgrims and the tourists that would come to the temple of diana that's revival folks Revival is not a bunch of people splashing around in a mud puddle and calling that an outpouring. A revival is when the power of God comes and people lay down their sins and lay down their implements of, of false worship and say, it's more important for me to serve God than it is to serve other things. A revival is, brings change to us. And what we need in the church today is, is we just need revival. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like they had on the day of Pentecost, like they had in Acts chapter 19, where the Holy Spirit came and they began to speak in other tongues. God extends an invitation. 
to every person here today to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a gift for a select few, but to everyone who hungers and thirsts for his presence. How will I know that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? How can I know, Pastor? Well, the initial, the first evidence, not the only evidence, but it's the first evidence. You'll speak in tongues as the Spirit gives you the ability. But I must caution you that speaking in tongues is not just a one-time occurrence. I don't speak in tongues one time and say, well, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and sit down and wait for Jesus to come. It's an ongoing. And listen, all through your Christian walk, you need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we leak. We leak. We encounter things in this world that overwhelms us. But I want to tell you, one moment in his presence and one touch from heaven can forever change your perspective and your outlook. Need to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning. So I believe we completely yield to what I call, I call it language of the Spirit or a spiritual language. Why is it important that we pray in the Spirit? Let me give you some reasons and we'll be finished. We prayer and worship are experienced on another dimension when I pray and worship in the Spirit. What are some of the benefits? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of you for the profit of all. When there's, when there's a message in tongues and interpretation, when there's a, a prophetic utterance, a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a gift of healing, uh, that's not for the individual to look like they're spiritual. That's for the profit and the benefit of the church. That's for your benefit. So let's examine the benefits of praying in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given for your profit. Speaking in tongues is not something we have to do, but it's something that we get to do that benefits us. The language of the Spirit is both a weapon we use against the enemy and a benefit that aids us in living the abundant life. John 10, 10, the latter part of the verse says, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So praying in the Spirit, number one, edifies the believer. That word edify there means to be built up. It builds you up spiritually. It's like charging your battery. Sometimes when it gets real cold, if you have a weak battery in your vehicle, it won't start that. So you take jumper cables and you jump that battery off. Or you take one of those jumper boxes that you've charged up to a full charge and you put it on that battery and it just immediately puts power in that battery. That's what it's like when I pray in the Spirit. Jude 20 says, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. I'm building up my faith. I'm building myself up. I'm being edified in the name of the Lord. John 7, 38 through 39 says, He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, from whom those believing in him should, would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Secondly, prayer in the Spirit gives direct communion with God. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, But he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. And I like it from the Message Bible. Let me read it to you. If you praise him in private language of tongues, God understands you, but no one else does, for you're sharing intimacies between you and him. The scripture says in the book of Revelation that he has a name that's for you that nobody else knows. This isn't, see, God is not far off distance up in heaven. He's not the good Lord up in the sky. God's not distant. He's not far away. Listen, he's right here in this room today. How do I know? Because I brought him with me. See, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we come together, we become corporately the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Listen, if we can get four or five people together, we can have church. We can have a meeting. And one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. There's power in agreement. And when we come together in agreement, listen, it will bring a manifestation and a demonstration of the power of God. I have intimacy 
I don't serve a far off distant God. Jesus came and died so he could reestablish that intimacy and that relationship that was broken through sin. We're not religious people. We're relational people. Man, I'm not a part of a religion. Christianity is not just another religion. If it is, I'm a quit. But listen, we're not a religion. We're not just a social gathering. We're not another charity on the, on the corner that's just doing good things. No, we're filled with the life of God. And we're to infuse that life into a world that's lost and dying. You're supposed to be a light set on a hill that, that can't be hid. A city that lights up. Where do I be that light? Well, start in your home. Then on your job. Be the light of God. And get filled with the Holy Spirit. And God will empower you to witness to those that are on your job. Number three, prayer in the Spirit gives us a God consciousness. Prayer gives you a God consciousness. Praying in the Spirit. See, you can pray in the Spirit as you wash the dishes. You can pray in the Spirit as you drive down the street. But the Bible says watch and pray. A lot of folks are not watching and driving. They're texting and driving or Facebooking and driving. Put that down and pray in the Spirit as you drive. You vacuum your floor. You cut your grass. Whatever you do, you can pray while you're doing those things. See, prayer don't have to be where I just get down on my knees at night at the bed and I go through a ritual. No, I pray all through the day. The Bible said pray without ceasing. What does that mean? That means that we're to have a heart that's turned towards the things of God at all times. And that means that we can go through the day and as the Lord begins to prick our hearts about things, we can pray. And often we can pray in the spirit. If you praise him in the private language of tongues, God understands you but no one else does and you're sharing intimacies. Between you and God. Walk in the spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Number four. Praying in the spirit is a means of worship. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 7 through 11. Then they were amazed and marveled saying to one another. Look are not all these who speak Galileans. And how is it that we hear each in our own language. In which we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites. Who's dwelling in Mesopotamia. Judea and Cappadocia. Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, but Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14 and 15, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Praying in the Spirit, along with the companion blessing of singing in the Spirit, is the ultimate way of praising and giving thanks to God, because you have a direct line to God. Your praise and worship lives will change radically as you move into greater freedom and worship. Then my last thought is this. Prayer in the Spirit brings wholeness. Wholeness. The word salvation is from a Greek word, soteria, and it's, it's the whole person. See, God does not just want to heal you. God does not just want to leave you fractured and broken. God wants to make you whole. We confess that at our house. I'm healed. I'm whole. That's a confession that we use. I'm a child of the king. I'm whole. God is making me whole. Praying in the spirit brings wholeness. Do you remember Isaiah and Isaiah 6? The Bible said he saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. He was there in the, in the temple. And the Bible said when the presence of the Lord come, the doors of the post moved. I mean the temple moved. That great, magnificent structure shook at the power of God. And he came in there, and Isaiah cried, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And the angel took a coal from the altar and placed it on his lips. He brought wholeness. 
into the fractured places of his life. When I'm praying in the spirit, it's helping me cope with grief. When I'm praying in the spirit, it's helping me fight off and ward off that depression the enemy wants to bring against my mind. When I'm praying in the spirit, it's coming against worry and fear and anxiety and the things that come against me through the week and through the day. God desires to make us whole. And listen, you walk through spiritual battles, you have fiery darts and curses and attacks from the enemy. It'll damage areas of your life and it creates broken places. We have sometimes broken or restrained relationships, disappointment, losses. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? They need healing as a result of those things. And all of these can be mended as we rebuild our lives through intimacy and fellowship with God and as we pray in the Spirit. Spiritual language. God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. If you today found out that you inherited $10 million, they've been searching for you, you had a long lost uncle, he struck it rich in, in oil, and he died, and you're the only living heir, and they've been looking for you, and they find you, and you find out that all of a sudden you're worth $10 million. Are you only going to draw that out $1 at a time? Most of you spend the whole 10 million, amen. You just blow it all. <laughs> and you have access to that. You're going to take what you need to accomplish what you need to accomplish. You're not just going to let that lay there and say, I'm just going to let that lay there. And hopefully one of my long lost relatives will, will get it one day. You're going to use it as you need it. You're going to draw off of it. And if you don't come see me, I will. And you're going to draw off of that. Listen, we have an inheritance greater than that. It's called the Holy Spirit. We don't have to live beneath our covenant privileges as children of God, but we can be filled with the Spirit. You say, well, Pastor, do I have to be a member of a Pentecostal church? No. This is not exclusive to Pentecostals. That's our name because that's what we embraced. That's why we drew our name. But it's not exclusive to us. God will skip over a multitude of churches to find one church that's hungry and on fire for him. And it don't make no difference to him what the name is outside. He looks at the hearts of the people inside. Can we be that church today? Can we say we want to be those people today? How many of you want everything God has for you? How many of you want everything that God has for you? Stand with me. Charles Spurgeon says, without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Whereas ships without the wind, branches without sap... And like coals without fire, we're useless. I believe it was D.L. Moody said, It's yet unseen what one man who completely surrenders to the Holy Spirit can accomplish on this earth.